Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. I am Kira Mulvaney, but my co-host this week is not Eric Raskin, who's away on family business. Instead, I am joined by the one and only Showbox lead commentator and International Boxing Hall of Famer, Mr. Barry Tompkins. Barry, thank you so much for stepping in to class up the joint this week. Oh, don't, you can see I've got my best sweatshirt on for this. <laughs> <laughs> But it's really nice to be here, and of course, I, I love your show, and uh, I'm, I can only hope to replace Eric for just a brief fleeting moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, you'll, you'll be fine, trust me. We've set the bar so low that, uh, <laughs> that it's, <laughs> you'll have no problem, honestly. Um, but let's, let's get into it, because it was a very busy weekend of boxing. Um, let's start with a card you called on Friday alongside Raul Marquez, uh, Friday's Showbox triple header from Cash Creek Casino, is how he pronounced it, in Brooks, California. Um, and as you, Raul, and Steve Farhood noted at the end, it was a bit of an odd night of boxing because of the way both the main event and the co-main unfolded. In both instances, there were fights were a tale of two halves, the eventual winners falling behind before coming back to rally down the stretch. Um, let's begin with the main event. I gotta say, I called this completely wrong. I had looked at tape of Brian Flores. I thought he had nothing with which to trouble Shenard Bunch. He looked slow to me, his punches looked too wide. I thought Bunch would be able to punch between his punches without any problem. And early on, it looked like I was right, um, I, you know, when he had him in trouble and floored him, but Flores dug in his heels and, and, and really from round on kind of took it over. And Barry, I gotta say, I was a bit disappointed in, in Shenard Bunch, actually quite disappointed in him. I, I thought he was too passive. I thought he threw way too little. He looked a little bit to me like someone who'd begun to believe his own press clippings and that all felt like all he had to do was show up and, and, and throw the occasional punch. But am I being too hard on him? And is this the story more of about what Brian Flores did do, not what Shenard Bunch didn't do? I, I think it is to a certain extent, but your point is well taken. I don't, I don't think he got cocky or too sure of himself. I, I think what happened is when, when Brian Flores started to come on in the fifth round, uh, he never made that adjustment. He just couldn't, he didn't respond. And it was almost like, like Flores took him by surprise so much that all of a sudden he didn't have an answer. And in every, he's been in some other tough fights. Uh, the one with Boca Chica was a tough fight, which he won. We all believe he yeah. won. Right? Yeah. And it wound up as a draw, but he was getting better as the fight went on. And this fight was just the opposite. And I, I, I just sort of attributed to, to Flores just kind of, doing something that he hadn't done in the first four rounds mm -hmm. and uh it took him by surprise he didn't have an answer it felt almost as if you know to follow up from that that bunch had kind of gotten into that rhythm through four rounds and sometimes it can be very difficult to to find an, an entirely new rhythm in the second half of the fight can't it yes i think that's and that's exactly what i what i think happened that night was strange and you touched upon it right at the beginning here but that night was strange right from the jump almost in both the the uh, co-main and the main I, I don't believe i've ever on back-to-back -back fights scored a fight five rounds for one guy and then five <laughs> rounds for the other guy and both of those fights that's the way i had it now one of them had a knockdown in the first round so it was 10-8 but uh yeah i don't believe that's i don't believe i've ever seen that before yeah indeed and, and let's talk a little bit about the co-main jaya brown Looked too skilled, too slick over the first half of that contest. And then Guido Schramm just reeled him in down the stretch to, to take majority decision. It, it, it's strange in that it wasn't just each fight was a tale of two halves, but they were all very similar in that the, the slick, flashy guy looked good at first. And then just the almost like the lunch pail kind of guy just dug in and, and took over in the second half. What did Schramm do to change that fight around? Well, you know, it's interesting. Right at the opening bell, uh, Schramm just jumped him. He came right out of his corner, jumped on top of him, and actually scored with a, a few punches, and then never went back to that until the start of the fifth round. And then he did the same thing, and he was right in his grill, and he never got out of his grill. You know, and I, I think in this case, Jaye uh, 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 was um, a little too inexperienced to recover from that. Right. You know, and I, I also think I think I think uh, Jaya Holmes has some skills, actually. And um, and I think that 
you know, we may see him again, and I think he'll probably get better. Um, I just think he he didn't have that. hadn't seen anything like that in the ring before. And uh, again, very much like Shenard Bunch, he just didn't adjust to it. He never, he, he did, he was the same guy. Also, in his case, I think he tired. I think mm -hmm. you know, a couple of rounds, I think he wasn't the same guy. And I don't, I don't think he could respond like he might've been able to earlier. But when it first happened in the start, at the start of the fifth round, he never did respond. And and much to uh, uh, to the Australian's credit, to uh, Shrum's credit, uh, he stayed on the gas. I mean, he, and he had a lot left in the tank um, yeah. at the end of the fight, I thought. So he just went out and took it, you know, and, and, I, and I just don't think the other guy responded to it. I think that that really was the, the bottom line. But I don't think at that level, especially, it's going to be that hurtful to him. Right. It's a, it's a tough proving ground show box, but because of that, that one loss doesn't, it doesn't mean the be all and end all. It, it can be a learning process and you can come back and be just as good, maybe better for having that experience on the so show we've box. Seen right? that on numerous occasions, actually on show, but one guy that immediately comes to mind is uh, uh, Oshakwe Foster. Uh, oh. He lost a fight on Showbox. It was the first time he was on Showbox. And he literally, it was freezing out, but he literally, <laughs> yeah, that's right. he literally froze. And yeah. he lost to a guy he never should have lost to. And not just by a little bit. He lost the fight, flat out lost the fight. And now he's a champion, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that kind of thing happens. But, you know, I, I'm very partial to the Showbox series because we rarely ever have a bad fight. Or at least yeah. a bad matchup. We've had some bad fights, but every fight that we have looks like it should be a competitive fight. You know, and, you know, it's and, funny. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to no. say when when Eric and I were previewing this card last week, like I said, I uh, I called Brian Flores completely wrong, and I said I don't get this. I don't see what he has to challenge Shannard Bunch. But then I also said, as much tape as I've watched of him, Gordon Hall's watched a lot more. And if this guy's in a showbox main event, this is going to be a, a good fight. And and it always is. Yeah, always is. And and it's because of Gordon Hall. I mean, Showbox is Gordon Hall. You know, it really is. I mean, he makes the fight. He cares so much. I've never worked for a guy before um, who, who cares as much about the show that he is the executive producer of. Uh, it's more than a job. You know, it's really a labor of love for Gordon. And, and he won't put up with a promoter trying to give him a dead guy, you know? Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna make sure that we get competitive fights, and uh, we almost always do. Almost, I mean, we've had a few nights where we come out of there saying, "Well, that was ugly," you know. But but not very often, and it's certainly not not due to Gordon. Uh, that uh, Gordon is solely responsible for the success of that show. I really believe that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, let's just touch quickly on the the opener, the eight, over eight rounds. That was a very different kind of fight. Uh, Raul Garcia, Robert Terry, he kind of went back and forth. They each left with their unbeaten records intact. The fight was scored a split draw. Neither guy looked happy with that, but I thought that was a fair result. Didn't I you? did too. I did too. And and again, I, I thought Terry, I had him as the, the dog in that fight. And, um, you know, he really wasn't very experienced. Hadn't gone past six rounds. Um, I really didn't think he would win that fight. And he didn't win it, but I thought he was very competitive in mm. that fight. Uh, yeah, that's another one of those fights, and I might have said this on the air, I don't recall, but we're, we're going to see both those guys again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing them against each other again. At some indeed. Point. Yeah, uh, indeed, actually. Yeah. Um, the, the following night, um, Showtime Championship Boxing Triple Header featured a trio of Showbox alumni, just to show, you know, what can lie ahead. Uh, but the night didn't actually go great for any of them. Um, Luis Nunez and Brandon Lee picked up wins, but they weren't very popular with the crowd or with our friends on the call at ringside. We'll touch on those in a second. But first, let's talk about that main event, a real shocker. Uh, Sebastian, the towering Inferno Fundora, was dominant over Brian Mendoza through six. Then suddenly, Mendoza erupted with a left hook over a lazy southpaw right hand for Fundora. Fundora buckled and stiffened, and then a picture-perfect pair of follow-up punches sent him crashing to the canvas. Barry... What happened here? Was this down to Mendoza's resilience or talent? Or was it just, as Fedora said afterward, he just switched off for a minute and, and just got cracked? Or, or well, does it hint at an innate flaw in what Sebastian Fandora does? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, he's obviously a very difficult guy to fight, you know, because he's so big for that weight division. I'm, I'm sure there have been others, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any uh, who have been that size at that weight. Uh, so he's a very difficult guy to, to fight. I did think that um, Mendoza did start to get inside on him a little bit in the round prior, you know, and uh, didn't get any real clean looks at him. There was another thing about that fight and about that that knocked knockout that struck me. And maybe, maybe I'm seeing something that wasn't there. Uh, I watched it again this morning just to take a look and see if I was right, but there was a shot right before the shot that really rocked him the first time. And it was on top of his yep. head, him on top yep. of his head. And I've talked to many fighters, never having been in a fight myself. <laughs> right. I've talked to many fighters though, who, who have said you get hit like that sometimes. And it just kind of, Makes yep. you a little bit woozy and disorients you for a minute. Yep. And I just can't help but wonder if that yep. wasn't a contributor. I, I swear he did a little stutter step when that punch landed too, just for me just too. for a me half too. seconds. Yeah. yeah, me too. But it, it was shocking. But I mean, it does, you know, I mean, does it do it, done it two times in a row. Yeah. So, you know, there's something to be said for this guy. Um, and again, even with Fundora, I don't think that's the end for Fundora. I think some <laughs> of the you know, the uh, mystery about him may be gone, you know, and there's that old, again, that old adage of, you never know how good a guy's going to be until he gets hit and he got hit and he didn't get up. So that may be a question that he has to answer too. Uh, but I don't necessarily think he's all done dancing. And for Mendoza, I think, uh, you know, I think it, he, there's no telling where he might, you know, he's strong. He's able to get you out of there and he's got some skills. Um, who knows where it ends for him? Yeah. Yeah, I, did. I made that same note about that same punch. And I thought to myself, I mean, it happens. But also, if you're six foot five and a half, 154 pounds, you shouldn't be getting hit on the top of the head, right? That's perhaps <laughs> something, you know, suggests that, you know, he's doing something a little bit wrong in there. And even when he was dominating those first six times, and I agree with you, I, I don't think we, we worried off Sebastian von Dora at all. Um, it, it's a learning experience. But I was thinking to myself, how would he do against a Jamel Charlo or a Tim Zhu? And I was thinking, he's just not at that level. I, I just, I his so. jab isn't snappy enough. And, and I, it does feel, doesn't it, a little bit as if he's gotten as far as he has because of his unique physical characteristics and the fact that he's able to fight inside as, as this really tall guy. And that as he gets up to those really top levels, he's maybe going to have to work on some things defensively positionally not square up so much maybe talking to his punches a bit more get a bit more distance that's going to last him or allow him to stay in there and last against those really really top guys I mean I agree with you I don't think it's the end for him but I think he should probably learn a lesson other than that oh I went to sleep for a second um yeah. no I think there's so. a bit more to work on than that right yeah. And that, as you point out, that that's a very talented division too. And there's a lot of guys in there, a couple of whom you mentioned, you know, who I fear might go right through him, you know. Um, I don't know, you know, he's going to have to go back to school, you know, and, and try to figure out what went wrong this time and what do I have to do if, in fact, I'm going to step up in class from the guy that just knocked me out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What about the other uh, couple of fights on that on that card? I'm sure you have some thoughts about that too. Uh, um, both of them, both guys, Nunez won, and uh, and so too did uh, Brandon Lee, who we've seen many times. But the cards, I mean, to me, and, and I really always hesitate to criticize. Yeah, officials, you know, uh, judges, but boy, they seem sort of lopsided. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they 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 did. Um, I do wonder sometimes whether we get, and of course you're normally the guy doing the call. I wonder if sometimes we can get wrapped up as viewers in the call. And obviously we all know and trust Mauro and, and, and Al and, and Abner. And I, part of me wondered, because I thought they were both dead even personally. I, I think I scored them both a draw. Uh, I could see that, that Nunez and Brandon Lee could win, but I was really shocked, like the guys, by the wideness of the cards. But I did think, well, all the, all the judges kind of saw it that way. Maybe we were the ones who saw it wrong. I, 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 think that I don't know. Yeah, I do. I think that every now every now and then, because and well, I do score the fight, and so does Raul. And, of course, we have Steve Farhood, uh, who's our unofficial official scorer. He scores the fight. 
but you know, quite frankly, uh, and you're a broadcaster, you know, uh, there's a lot of other stuff that you're thinking about. You know, the producer's talking to me in my ear. I'm trying to hear what Raul is saying. So I, don't, I have no doubt that that there are times I may see around totally different than it really went, because you know, quite frankly, I'm not watching around that, that right. TV, uh, because people are talking to me. I want to know what's coming next, all that sort of thing. Um, but there have been times. I agree with you about this one. I think it was much. They were both much closer, much closer. Um, Brandon Lee, in particular, I, you know, I think you can make a case for the fact that he might have lost that fight. I, yeah, you know, but I think that what I do think with judges sometimes is there's a tendency that to, in your own mind, handicap that fight, you know, and yeah. you say, well, you know, this guy's going to come at Brandon Lee, but Brandon Lee's tough and he's strong and he should be able to counter him, and and I'm not suggesting that they would have a bias, but I'm suggesting that. You know, it's like if you're a fan in any sport, you don't see the other team beating your team. You only see your team losing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I sometimes think there may be a little of that in boxing. You know who is guiltier of that than anybody I've ever seen is Howard Cosell. Oh, okay. He used to handicap, he used to handicap a fight. And, uh, and if the fight didn't go the way he thought it was going to go, he wouldn't even see it until the fifth or sixth round, you know, right. and, and then he'd be pissed, you know, because <laughs> they didn't do what he said he was what they said they were going to do, you know. Uh, so I do think that that, that sometimes that can be the case, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't go to the extent of talking about, you know, taking money or sure. any kind of stuff, although I'm sure at low levels, it's probably existed in the past, but uh, but I do think there may be a tendency in some cases with some judges uh, to kind of think this is how I think the fight is going to go before the fight actually happens. And so you don't really see what actually is happening until a little bit later. Before we move on, uh, let's talk about Brandon Lee just a wee bit, because, I mean, you've called his fights a lot because he's he's been on Showtime a tremendous amount. I think this is his eighth, eighth time on Showtime. You know, the last time you and I did this, he had just been taken the distance by Zachary Ochoa. And you and I were talking about, gee, should he get someone in his corner, someone different? And he hasn't even scored a knockdown since then after blowing all these people away. And, and on Saturday night, I was thinking, if anyone is crying out for having a Freddie Roach or a Joe Goosen, a trainer who knows how to work with aggressive fighters in there, it would be him. And again, not writing the guy off, but saying, this is maybe what he needs to move up to the next level. Do, is that what you were thinking as well? Do you, do you still feel that way? Absolutely. And I, and I, I, I hesitate to say I do feel that way and have for a while. We talked about it once before. Um, I like his father, you know, but, you know, I like my dad too, but he couldn't train me, <laughs> you know, and, um, and actually when we did talk, when I did have a conversation with his father, um, it was in an airport after one of his fights. And his father said, I know at some point I'm going to have to take oh, okay. somebody come in here, you know, who can really talk about strategy and that sort of thing, you know? Right. So I think in his heart of hearts, he knows that, but, and, and I can't imagine what that would be like for uh, a father who's brought his son along that far mm. to all of a sudden say, okay, you got it. I'll take a step back. I'm sure that's quite difficult, but, I think all he has to do is look at the history of fighters who stayed with their dads for too long mm -hmm. and never really got to where they could have gotten, you know, because I do think there's, you know, guys like you mentioned, Freddie Roach, and there's, there's several others who are really good tacticians in addition to being good trainers. Like Angie Dundee was more tactician than he was trainer. You know, he would come in the last two weeks for, for Ray Leonard and right. the other people that he had. But he was re a really good tactician, you know, and he would draw up the game plan, basically. And he generally had fighters who would follow it or he wouldn't do it. Uh, so I think that uh, very definitely that Brandon Lee would benefit now. From, there may be even just some things in how he's pronating his punches or I don't, I don't know. But because you're right. I'm frankly, he hit this guy hard enough last night that the guy you would have th thought would have dropped. Yeah. And he didn't. You know, yeah. in fact, I thought he was more wild last night. He was fighting the guy's fight. I thought, mm -hmm. night, um, you know, more than I've seen him do. And mm -hmm. now the caliber of opponent, I suppose, is better. But still, this guy that he fought was just considered 
you know, a bit of a step up, but it was also exactly. let's get him a good win. Exactly. Know? It yeah. wasn't. Yeah. What about the other there, you know, even though we're Showtime people, or I'm a Showtime person, uh, plenty of good fights uh, last night, Shakur Stevenson, for instance. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a guy who I just think is on a, on a big time rise. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it seems to be like almost a consensus, doesn't it, that he's like a pound for pound guy in waiting, doesn't it? And, um, you know, I, I felt like the guy he fought on, on Saturday night was maybe a little bit of a step back from you know he's been on a pretty good role uh yeah. with jamel herring and uh, oscar valdez those kind of guys but still pretty good and um you know the always the the one sort of if there's to be a knock on sugar it's, it's his power but he just ripped this guy apart and you do wonder if moving up to 135 it could work against him or maybe he's gonna have a little bit more oomph yeah, uh, behind him moving up i find he's a guy to me that just gets, seems to get better and better and better i realize this one was kind of a you know, it wasn't, you can't criticize it, you know, no. but, um, but I, I, I wasn't so crazy about him, frankly, coming out of the Olympic games, but, um, but I like it more and more. And now I think he's the real deal. Mm -hmm. I really do. Uh, what about Bam Bam Rodriguez? Uh, he got a win, but uh, it was a costly Oof. win. Yeah. So he's going to be on the shelf for a while. Um, but boy, what a rise he's had. I, I'm going to be entirely honest, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, that 15 months ago, if you'd asked me about Jesse Bam Rodriguez, I wouldn't have had a single word to say about the man. I had not heard of him. And then he went on this incredible tear last year and now now moving back down in weight to pick up another belt. But I mean, that also shows that as well as being incredibly skilled, uh, the man is hard as nails to get your jaw broken in well, like halfway through the fight and still hang in there and, and win a large part of the rest of the fight and take a title. That's, I often love to remark, I, I never like to take boxes for granted. And, you know, I, I have a hangnail, I'm in bed for a week. And, and these guys, what they go through and what they, their, their mental strength, as well as their physical conditioning to just bite down and just push through it. I mean, the, I can't imagine what it's like to have your jaw broken. And and he, he just showed exactly why he's he, he's one of the best in the sport right now. Yeah, you know, there's a, it speaks to a, a bigger subject, I think. I, for me, and I do a lot of different sports. I don't only do <laughs> boxing. So I get around all kinds of different athletes, you know. But to me, boxers are one of a kind. And in fact, my wife is a, is a, was a sports columnist for many years and did, did a lot of boxing, covered a lot of boxing. And she would always say, I'd rather talk to boxers than any other athlete because you oh, ask really? them a question. Yeah. She said, you ask them a question, they look you in the eye, they give you a heartfelt answer, mm. not getting, uh, you know, we put our pants on one leg at a time you know, <laughs> from these guys. And and the other thing about them, and this kind of speaks to what we're talking about with Rodriguez, is they have nothing to prove. They're not in, personally a violent person. I've met very few yeah violent fighters you know the only time they have anything to prove is in that 18 foot square you know and uh and i think so they don't have to show that's where they show their toughness they don't have to show yeah. their toughness anyplace else and you know like muhammad ali had that broken jaw when he fought ken norton yep. and, and now this guy you know uh yeah i can't it the thought of it just I can't even conceive of it, you know? Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, yeah. I remember one time, we're, oh, so the other thing I always thought about fighters too, and I'm going way afield here, but- That's right. And the other thing I, I always thought too was that at the highest level, and I think that it, in my opinion, it's the only sport that you need to be like this. At the highest level, if you're 98%, you lose. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can, football players are playing at 60% all year because they're always banged up, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you can you can get certainly in baseball and even you know even in basketball basketball guys are nicked up they have little aches and pains everywhere fighter you cannot be you just yeah. can't do it you have to be uh, you know in top physical condition and uh, the story that I always tell too is one time I was in a gym with Sugar Ray Leonard and we were talking about conditioning and and Racy do you want to know what it's like because I've never fought I've never been in a fight in my life in the gym, in a ring, on the schoolyard, in my backyard. I, I've never, this hand has never struck another. <laughs> this face has never been struck by another person. Um, so, but anyway, Ray said, uh, 
I'll give you an idea what it's like. So he put a pair of gloves on me and he just told me, just stand in front of a mirror in the gym, you know, and just be in a stance. You don't have to throw any punches, just be in a stance uh, for three minutes, you know? And so I did, I put the gloves on, you know, sat, stood there for three minutes. And at the end of the three minutes, my hands were down here, you know? Yeah, been, exactly. You know, and, and that's without throwing a punch, without somebody swinging at me. You yeah, know? yeah. So I, I yeah. just have the greatest respect for for fighters i really do yeah yeah well it's, it's there are so many times and i'm sure there are with you that just being involved in this horrible business makes me feel ill and dirty but it's the fighters it's all about the fighters man and what they put into it and yeah i, I that's that's the thing that keeps me here yeah it's unbelievable unbelievable yeah speaking of fighters um Clarissa shields now has another fight um I, I'm curious, not only in your take on this fight, but your take on her in general. Um, I have some thoughts about it too, but I'm curious what you think. So I'm not super excited by the fight. Um, you know, Hannah Gabriel has only fought three times since she and Clarissa fought in 2018. And then she hasn't fought at all since 2021. And she's fighting for the undisputed championship but i get it that there's a narrative there chris is probably starting to struggle to find good opponents and hannah did knock her down yeah, um, and so there is that it um it was legit yeah absolutely absolutely legit so i get that i have i i've become quite a fan of of claressa and uh she really impresses me with her ability to move up and down the weight divisions a lot like amanda serrano and and clean out each one and i really think that she's improved as a boxer over the last several years um it's surprising to me because i've been ringside and i know you have when she's landed punches on on opponents and it surprises me that somebody who lands punches like that only has two knockouts but i i, I do think that women only having two minutes to do their business in, in each round probably makes a big big difference there but I've grown to really quite quite admire her and quite like her and I've even come to really quite like her trash talk and I think she's a very good professional trash talker so uh yeah I, I'm I, I like Clarissa I, I must I, confess I share that completely and uh, you know I've gotten to know her a little bit because I've done a number of her fights and uh and I agree with you you know I mean she is a product of what she is and uh you know, she, and she, she, there's no reason for her to change. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you on, on her trash talk too. The only thing I, I quite frankly, and I would, I would suggest this to her too, is you don't have to yell loudly that you're the greatest of all time. <laughs> you know, you could right. say it to your friends and you could say it to your opponents if you like, but you know, if you are, you're going to get the credit for it. People are going to notice, yeah. you know, and, and I wish you would just, do her gig, do her job. She can, she can woof at people. She can talk at people, but um, I, I, I think she should, she would be well advised to wait until somebody says, you know what, Clarissa, you're the greatest woman of all time. You know what I think? I think this is you and I showing our ages when we say stuff like that yeah, because we, because we are from a different time, and uh, and now I think it's just like if you don't scream it from the rooftops. It's true. Nobody no, pays attention. Floyd, Floyd did it, you know, all the time. And, and, and I was Cresser. And I just think, you know, it's like we used to say with, with NFL touchdown celebrations, always act like you've been there before, right? Just, exactly. Just, yeah. But that's not what happens anymore. No, I, no, no, I, no. I, I, I think we're 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 in the pipe and slippers phase of our lives mate and that's that's what's <laughs> that's what's going on there it is the sad truth isn't it <laughs> like i'm gonna leave you and jump out this window into the bed <laughs> oh, well. you are you're absolutely right though i you know i grew up at a time uh where uh the my mentor in this business uh, told me one time, he said, you know, you, you should, your role is the same as the referee. If you do it well, nobody notices. You know, and I've kind of lived my life that way, you know, and, and athletes were that way, you know, back in the day when I started too, you know, and you're, you're absolutely right though. You absolutely right. We're, uh, we're fogies, you know, <laughs> but you know what? And I've said this before. And I remember when we had the, the show box anniversary show and we had all you guys on that, that attitude that you have that you bring to your job really i think is what for me makes the showbox crew so great because it always feels to me as if 
I'm kind of like sitting on the couch with a couple of friends watching the fight, you know, and that's how you guys do it. And I think, especially for a show like Showbox, that's why it works so well, because I mean, I mean, it's also just in your personalities, you and Raul and Steve and Brian. I mean, you're not those kind of guys. And and I like that. I really do like that. You there's no hyperbole there. There's you, you don't get overly excited. And and I think that absolutely works. And I, and I think in that case, that's that's something where, you know, old school works, buddy. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, that's that's my attitude about it, too. I, I, I don't say a couch. I usually say a bar stool. But OK, yeah, same thing. Yeah, exactly. Same. Yeah, that, that that's what I've always felt my job is. And, you know, you know what our business is like. I mean, you put it out there and some people are going to love you and some people are going to hate exactly. you. It's a subjective business and you got to live with both. Mm. The worst, uh, the worst, <laughs> you know, uh, this is a, such a tangent, but I, I love chatting with you here. The, the worst, uh, they say never look at the comments, right? When you're in our business, like yeah. never. I made the mistake of doing that on a, <laughs> on a YouTube video once when I was doing on-camera stuff at HBO. And the comment was, HBO, get this man off television. He's not interesting and he looks like a rapist. <laughs> That's really nice, isn't it? I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that is true. I had, uh, you know, the bane of my existence, and we're really getting off on this too, was Rudy Martsky, who had a national voice, you know. And for whatever reason, I could tell you the reason, but, uh, well, I will tell you the reason as long as we're just chatting here. But um, before he ever started doing his radio and TV column at, at USA Today, he was in San Francisco for some reason, and we wound up sitting next to each other at a bar. And he was asking me all these questions of who do I think is good? Who do I think is not so good? You know, whose style do I like? Who style? To the number, everybody who I said I like, he didn't. And everybody oh. who I said I didn't <laughs> like, he liked. You know, and so he he carried that on when he when he got that gig and he used to just own me i mean every show i did when i was at hbo i mean he you know he would say great show everybody was great the pictures were great the director was great it was really produced unbelievably tompkins sucked you know <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you know and the only way i got him ultimately was um you know i mean he owned me there was nothing i could do about it mm. um and uh, i never talked to him. I never called him. I never complained about it. I just figured, you know, the, the next day is another day, you know, and yeah. Uh, but one, he, so he ripped me for a fight. Uh, I don't remember what the fight was, but he absolutely tattooed me. Well, the truth of the matter was I didn't do the fight. You know? oh. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time now, now I can call him. And I think to the I said, Rudy, I said, not only didn't I do that fight, I didn't even watch that fight. You know? oh, amazing. And, uh, and I said, look, I don't want a retraction. I don't want an apology. I just want you to never write my name again. Oh, and wow. I never did, except he actually puffed me a couple times in basketball and football, just as kind of like, here's a bone, kid. <laughs> yeah. Another man you never wrote my name again. Wow, amazing. Um, before we look ahead to our next big showtime fight, one other fight got announced over the weekend, Josh Taylor, Tiafimo Lopez. I'm incredibly excited about that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've been high on Tiafimo for a long time, but uh, I, I might even like Taylor a little bit here. What do you think about that? It's a cracking fight, isn't it? It is. You know, you have fights where you really go into the fight not knowing who's going to win. Mm. You know, I and, and that's the way I feel about that fight. I I... I can make a case for both guys. I can make a case for both guys winning. I can make a case for both guys losing. Um, I, I am a Tiafima Lopez guy, as you are. and uh, But I, it, it, to me, it's a pick and fight. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the first, my first experience of Tio, he was on an undercard, deep on an undercard on a Terrence Crawford fight. And I was just hanging around at the pretending to be important at the either the way or the press conference or something and I and I just I just had a my mic in my hand with an HBO flag and this guy comes up to me and he goes my son's going to be bigger than Muhammad Ali and I go oh yeah <laughs> and I looked at Carl Moretti because yeah it's Tiafimo Lopez is that he's crazy but his son can fight <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's funny. that's great that's great <laughs> um but yeah look while I've got you here we've got to talk about this two weeks from now uh, Showtime pay-per-view will be in Las Vegas talking about fights where you don't know going in who's going to win Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia we've been waiting for this 
we've been waiting for this crop of lightweights to start fighting each other for a while. Here we go. Um, how much are you looking forward to this fight? And do you have any thoughts a couple of weeks out on how you expect it to unfold? Uh, I'll, I'll ask the first party question first. I really am looking forward to this fight. And, and I must tell you, I mean, being a boxing boxing broadcaster is my job. I don't know that I can really call myself a boxing fan. Um, I watch boxing because it's my job. Right. And so, you know, I will watch uh, to see how, and I've been at it now. I've been doing it for 40 years. So naturally I've sort of become a fan, but this is a fight that were I a real fan, I, I would, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to happen. You know, I would want to be there. I wouldn't even just want to want to watch it on pay-per-view. I'd want to be there. I do want to be there, as a matter of fact. Okay. I have to talk to David Jenkins about that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's a great fight. Uh, one that I really am looking forward to um, more than any that I can recall in recent memory. Mm. Mm, yeah, I think the atmosphere is going to be fantastic. Eric and I are going to be there, so they've got to send you. I mean, good Lord. I mean, <laughs> obviously, obviously, they're only taking us to get the coffee, but still. I That's mean, all right. I, I'll, I'm know. happy to do that. I'm happy to do exactly. that. Exactly. I, mean, yeah, I like coffee runs together. I don't need any part of that. I like it because, um, you know, again, it's one of those fights. Um, I can make a case for either guy. Yeah. Although, quite frankly, uh, you asked me, do I have thoughts two weeks out? Um, I, I think Davis is going to get him out of there and, and maybe make him look bad. Uh, I, I tend to agree with you in that I think, you know, everybody talks about Tank's power and, and, and quite rightly, but he's a smart guy in the ring, isn't he? There, there's a lot of stuff he does. In, in, and, and I think he'll struggle with him because Ryan's got those physical advantages. He's got that great hand speed. He's got that reach. But I think technically, Javante's on a different level. I think I think he's a very, very good boxer indeed. As well I as do being too. A, a good puncher. Yeah. I, I do too. I, in fact, I think the first guy that's going to beat Javante Davis is Javante Davis. Yeah, yeah, agreed. That, that's the only thing that concerns me about uh, about him at all. Um, but it hasn't happened yet, and and I agree with you. Um, you know, and that's kind of the way I see the fight when I think about it this far in advance. Is just that he's going to see how it looks and see what Garcia does and see how he wants to play it. And then he'll get after him and take care of business. I mean, yeah. I, you know, and the and the other scare card for me is that um, is that um, uh, Garcia has been dropped by a lot lesser light than yeah, than Davis, you know? yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, anything excite you on the undercard? Got David Morrell against Senator Beko. Gabe Rosado against Beck the Bully Malacuzia in a rematch there. That, that, and... fight, that fight interests me. I, you know, I think okay. that division right now is so much in flux and so ready for somebody to really take a giant step up. And there's plenty of good fights there that I think that's what makes these fights really interesting, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like them both. I don't have any real feeling about who's going to win either one of them, quite frankly. And, I, and I've, I've only seen, a, I haven't seen everybody that's on the undercard. So I, I don't, uh, were I doing a fight, obviously I'd study it a lot more than right. I have, but uh, I like the, I like the whole card. And I, I think, yep. uh, you know, buying this pay-per-view, uh, you're going to get a lot more than just the main event. Yeah, indeed. I'm particularly looking forward to seeing David Morrell. I think for exactly that reason that you talked about, that super middleweight division, it's, it's just primed to explode. And uh, Morrell's right up there. Uh, and so I am definitely looking forward to that. So. All right. Uh, we're going to have a special little segment to finish up this week. Um, we've got a few questions for you. Uh, I asked listeners if they had anything that... <laughs> These are great, actually. Um, what are the first thing you wanted to ask Barry Tompkins, I, I said, and Al Bernstein responded, who? No, he didn't. He's... <laughs> um, but no, look. Here's, here's one. The first one comes from a guy I know, uh, Jonathan Pinfield. He's a sports reporter from Yorkshire in England. And he asks, uh, does Barry think the 1980s was a, quote, golden era for boxing? Or are we just looking back in time with rose tinted glasses? Well, here, here I am again, being the old fart, right? right. You know, um, for me, it certainly was because I had an opportunity to call him in every virtually every great fight in that uh you know actually going back to the well through the 80s and into the 90s a little bit too um 
so yes, but you know, it's like, it's like somebody saying those were the good old days. And quite frankly, I think these may be the good old days, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. I look at through, I look at it through, you know, my perspective of having the opportunity to call all those great fights. And yet I'm sure, you know, there's some of the young guys, you know, Corey Erdman, those kinds of guys who I think is very good. Oh, by the way, um, you know, who for them, these are the days, you know, these are the best. Yeah. Days. There are a lot of good fights now. Yeah, they are. I think we're in a pretty exciting time. And I actually think this year, I mean, obviously there's always going to be nonsense surrounding Tyson Fury, but I think a lot of the other fights are going to happen. I think we're going to get Crawford and Spence this year, finally, as well, for example. Uh, you know, Eric and I have talked about this, but I don't do a pound for pound list anymore, but I think about if I had to do it, it would be tough because there's a good, good crop of, of young fighters. But I mean, to me, when I think about the 80s, uh, it's really those four guys, isn't it, that made the 80s. Um, I mean, that's what we think about when we think of, think about the 80s. And obviously you had Tyson come up at the end and, and you had Ali and Holmes sort of at the earlier part, but it was really those four guys when we oh, think no about question. the 1980s. No question, no question. Yeah. And you know, again, I had I had the opportunity to call all those fights and also work with uh, both Ray Leonard, Ray Leonard for a long time. Mm. And uh, in fact, Ray wrote me a note the other day, uh, I had 36 years since Hagler Leonard. Nah, wow. That, I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. Being around boxing, nothing has made me feel quite as old as being around boxing because I think because of exactly that, because I picture being ringside at all these fights and it feels so recent. And then you hear that. Yeah. But it's been, it's, yeah, that's, boxing yeah, has not been great for my ego. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a real soft spot for Marvin Hagler too. I, I, yeah. I really did. Um, I, I thought, you know, he should be considered amongst the greatest middleweights, you know, okay. and the unfortunate truth is people have a tendency to remember him for that last fight with Ray. Yeah. You know, and, and of course he came apart, you know, after that fight, never fought yeah. again and, uh, yeah. and, and died all too soon, you know, oh, really much too soon. That story. he was a wonderful guy. I mean, I, mm. I could do an hour on Marvin Hagler, you know, um, Really hey, that's 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 fine, but you know, whatever. I, I don't get paid by the hour, but what the hell? I've got a professional <laughs> well, Zoom account. Time. We can keep going. Another, another time. All right. I will say though that the other couple of questions we have are related to uh, that fight. Um, one is from Free Speech Man at Marco Five One Eight, and he asks, "How often do you hear? How do you like it these days? <laughs> and uh, and is there a story behind that 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 line that call? You know, I wish I could tell you there was. Um. I hear it all the time from boxing people, especially, um, you know, I've, I've always been of the belief that in the big moment, you can't, you know, mm. it's not like you write down in the margins, things mm. I might say, you know, mm. uh, in the big moment, you, you just have to hope that it's there, you know? Mm. Uh, and, and I, and I really believe if you, I've had the opportunity to have, you know, more than a few, more than my share of, of big moments, not just in boxing, but in other sports too. And uh, and I would always say, and I believe this, if you get 50% of them where you wouldn't have done it any other way, you're doing pretty good. I think the best I've ever seen at it is Al Michaels. And uh, Al probably got 70%. None better, of course, than the call in the uh, hockey game, you know, yeah. at, at Lake Placid. I mean, that's the call of an, of an age, you know, I think. Uh, Joe Starkey's call on the seven lateral yeah. play Cal Stanford game. I did that game too, but you never hear my call. <laughs> that was one of the other 50. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, you can't plan them. They're either, it's either there or it's not there. And, uh, you know, a big part of all of that is having a color analyst who's not going to jump on top of you uh, and letting the crowd play its part, you know. So yeah. when there is a big moment like that, you, you, hope that you call the moment correctly and then you lay out and let the crowd you know put the button on it um, yeah so talk, you mentioned Al there. i mean he's another one isn't he he's that understated kind of role who approaches that his job in exactly the way we were just talking about that yeah i think he, so yeah yeah I yeah, so. yeah um, you know again it's it's um like moro and i couldn't be more different in how we call a fight and yet i think moro's fantastic I, I, really, I, I think he's one of the great play-by-play -play guys in this in combat sports, not just in boxing. 
uh, that's come along. You know, I really do. And yet we're apples and oranges. We're completely yeah. different. And I'm quite sure if you asked him about me, he would say the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so you know, vive la you know? Yeah. Do you have, I'm sure you do, uh, have when you're done, you're back in your hotel room, you're, the adrenaline's kind of easing out. You have moments where you think, I think that was really good. I think I nailed that. Uh, uh, I think we all did a great job or or, or, or also is it more the other way is it uh, yeah because I hmm. think when you when you hit something exactly the way you would have, you would have done it if you could write it uh hmm. there's a tendency to say oh yeah of course sure I got that one you know but hmm. um but when when what happens sometimes is you know you'll get a word and it's not the wrong word it's a it's the word is the right word but it's not the word that would have been better you know, that would have put yeah. an exclamation point on it. Uh, and those are the kinds of things that wear on me, you know. Yeah. Damn, if I yeah. Just, you know. Um, yeah, which are the things probably that people watching don't actually notice, but you do, and that's what matters, right? That's true. No, it's true. You know, or there used to be, and this, this speaks to being younger, being older, but I always used to feel, and I grew up, uh, again, This I'm not going to do my life story here, but when I first started, <laughs> You know, there were no teleprompters and there were no IFB, so I had no contact with the producer except through the stage manager. So, uh, and when I started local news here in San Francisco, we were still shooting film. And every night a film chain would break. I mean, it was just old equipment. A film chain would break and you'd have to add lift, you know. Oh, yeah. So, so that was my experience, you know, where I, I never worried about whether I were going off the air in five minutes or 25 minutes, you know, that it didn't matter to me there was a fight an hbo fight i'll tell you what it was the cooney norton fight in madison mm -hmm. garden where we again I'll, I'll paraphrase the story but all the early fights really went quickly they're all one round knockouts and now here comes the main event and they don't want to start the main event until the top of the hour mm -hmm. uh and at that time we had to do two and a half hours so they start the main event at the top of the hour and as you know, that was a one round knockout lasted a minute and 30 seconds. By the time we did, you only sh you show the whole fight so many times from so many angles. <laughs> we, you know, and we talked to the referee and all the writers were on deadline because that was the, that was the last fight. And, and so they're all on deadline. So I can't go bring one of them on. <laughs> and Larry Merchant, because, because uh, Norton got hurt in that fight, Ross yeah. Greenberg, who was producing the fight, told Larry to go with the ambulance to the hospital, which was very smart. But in the meantime, it was just me. Ray was off. Ray had a fight that weekend, so it was just me and Larry, and uh, and so I had to ad lib for forty two minutes. You know, wow! All alone. It was at Madison Square Garden. I could see the lights wow. going off all, all over the garden. It was like remember the old clown Emmett Kelly used to sweep up the spotlight. <laughs> That's what I felt like, and uh, wow. so I did forty two minutes of ad living, just telling the same story eighteen different ways, basically. And Rudy Martsky ripped me for using a cliche. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember how they got off on that, but anyway. Yeah. But you know, it's funny. I, uh, I I love the adrenaline. I've only had to do something like that a couple of times, but I've always been with somebody. Uh, Mara and I were in that position one time. Mara could we were Mara could up. An and a half, you know. And the amazing thing about him is he knows everything. Um, so we were. Uh, doing a, a a live broadcast from it was before Mayweather Pacquiao. We were at Floyd's gym, and Floyd just didn't show up. It was like he was two hours late. And um, and the beautiful thing is that you know De Blasio would bring us people like like Little Kim, and and, and I wouldn't have known a damn thing. Morrow yeah. knows exactly what albums and what tracks to talk yeah. to her about, and and so. Doing that kind of thing, I think when you've got a great partner is fantastic, but gosh, doing 42 minutes by myself, I'm, I, I don't know, man. It's, well, that's what I started to tell you. It used to be where you, you never worried about that kind of thing, you know, and I always thought of it as like going into a tunnel and you knew you were going to come out the other end at some point, you know, uh, whereas now, you know, in my older years, you're still going into that tunnel every now and then, but the, in the back of your head, <laughs> yeah. saying, could be a train. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we, we've got one last question that also relates to that fight. It's from David Cushion, who's a great friend of the podcast, and he volunteers each year at the Hall of Fame ceremonies as well. Oh, great, great guy. Um, and he asks, um, I'd love to know how surprised, if at all, Barry was watching that Hagler-Leonard fight, watching Ray exceed many people's expectations. 
Well, you know, I've told this story many times about that fight, but um, so, but I'll tell it to you too. I might've even told it to you, I don't know. But um, Ray and I did the Hagler-Duran fight. And at the end of the Hagler-Duran fight, after they'd announced the decision, Duran came over to where we were sitting and he stuck his head between the ropes and he said to Ray, he said, you can beat this guy. And, uh, and so in my back of my mind, I know that's when Ray first even had the idea of maybe coming out of retirement and fighting Marvin Hagler. And then about three or four months later, before the fight was even signed, Ray and I were doing a fight in Florida and, uh, and Ray had, <laughs> as, as Ray could only do, uh, chartered a boat to go have, we were going to have pants up, up the inland waterway. And, uh, so I'm I'm looking for a boat, you know, like I, maybe Ray's rowing, maybe not, I don't know. But I'm I'm <laughs> looking for a boat, and all of a sudden here's this like 160 foot yacht, <laughs> and Ray's got the captain's hat, you know. Anyway, so so we're sitting up on the bow of the boat, uh, going through the inland waterway, and uh, and Ray said, "You know how to beat Marvin Hagler? I'm going to tell you how to beat Marvin Hagler. You got to fight three times around." 15 seconds each time. You got to do it at the beginning and the end of the round and for 15 seconds somewhere in the middle of the round and you'll, wow. steal, and you'll steal the win. That was before the fight was ever signed. Wow. That's exactly how he beat him. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Amazing. So yeah, you were probably the least surprised person in the arena, actually. Yeah, he did. What he, but but I thought, you know, it was a close fight. I had, I did have Ray. And, you know, we talked earlier about this of how do you do uh, like we talked about with the judges of how mm. if you know about one guy, I knew Ray was like my little brother, you know, right. And I knew Marvin really well, too, and liked Marvin. Mm. But, you know, Ray was like, you know, we were really close friends because we'd worked together for 10 years. Uh, so I had to go into it. And, you know, I didn't really have a bias because I also liked Marvin. But I, I I was really very aware of not because I knew how Ray was going to fight the fight. And I, I didn't want to give anybody else a bias, you know. Gotcha. So, uh, so but in the end, I was not surprised. And it was the way I scored it. Wow. But it was a very close fight. And, you know, I, I that's why I, I get asked to this day, who do you think won the fight? And I do think Ray won the fight, but I'm never surprised if anybody tells me they thought Hagler won the fight. They're not only are they entitled to that opinion, they have a valid point. Yeah, indeed. All right, that will do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Tompkins and Mulvaney. Um, Barry, thanks so much for joining us this week. Eric Raskin will be back next week as we begin oh, our I countdown. So. <laughs> as we begin, he'll be trying to save his job after this week. Uh, we will begin our countdown to Davis Garcia. Uh, until then, thanks everyone for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. So long, everybody.